Part three of Thorstein of the Mere by W. G. Collingwood. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six of Furnace Folk a Thousand Years Since. The winter wore and the summer came, and Edward still ruled the land in peace. But about hay harvest there were rumours at which Swain nodded to his wife, as one who says, You see, I was right. And when hay time was well past, came people from over the fell, bidding him to a meeting at Ulfa's Lund. Now this Ulfa, of whom we spoke before, had land on the brink of the fells, where they met the low country about an hour's journey to the southward of Greenodd. He was an old man, and he had been a chieftain formerly, and was a man of worth even now, and a stickler for old times and the laws. Near his town, as we still call hereabouts any cluster of dwellings, though it be nothing like a city, and between it and the waterside, there was a broad mound, not so high, but standing by itself, from which could be seen a great ring of country all around, across the Firth, Cark and Cartmel Way, and all the Sandgate, that is the road across the sands of Leven, and whosoever was coming and going for good or ill, and down the coast to Conishead, that was the king's seat, where the York kings had their folk to take tax of the ironworkers and mines, and then again westward to Pennington, where the Pennings lived. They were an ancient family of English kin long ago settled there, and busied chiefly in getting red iron ore out of the iron pits on their land, and smelting it and forging it. They were great smiths, and used charcoals in their furnaces, or bloomeries as we call these old works. The charcoal was got from the woods that in old times covered all the country, but by now these pennings and their people had cleared a deal of ground. There was the Swartmoor between their town and the old road, called so, no doubt, from the cutting and coaling that had gone to clear it and so much iron they smelted and forged into weapons and tools, pots and pans, and ironware of all sorts, that they were glad to sell it to the merchants who came in ships up the firth. When Ulfar came, at first they were angry, and fought with him, but when they found that for all their smith's cunning, they could never give him the smith's stroke, as the saying is, they came round to the mind of King Donald's counsellors, that Kettle told of, they made peace with Ulfar, and found that he was an honest man and abiding by his word. When he offered to take their ironmongery and sell it for them, better than the cowpers who had come before, they were glad of it, and did all the brisker business in his company, and in the end they settled down into good neighbours and friends. When the Northmen came into Hogan, that is the country we call Furness, beside the Pennings they found a few English and some Welsh here and there. There were Welsh in the lowland over against Walney, and Ross they called the meadowland thereabouts. There were already villages between that and Dalton, and up to Broughton on the Duddon, and churches there, and priests no doubt, but such as heard little of any English bishops, or what we should call government, whether of church or state. Across at Cartmel, the land and all the Welsh that were on it, had long ago been given to York Minster, but Furness was a bit of that broad debatable ground over which the tide of invasion flowed from age to age, and ebbed back again, just like the sea upon Morecambe shores. As time went on, here a piece of sand was fully reclaimed, and there a piece of land was swallowed up by the tide, so that it is hopeless now to seek the true boundaries either of the people 
or of the place so many years ago. We can only pick out here and there an English or a Welsh name among the Norse. But when the Northmen came, they took the snuggest places for shelter and for safety, as we said, from the great fleets of Harold and Alfred. They always wanted a good landing spot for their flat-bottomed boats, so that when summer came, between sheep-shearing and corn-harvest, they might make use of their spare time by pushing out to sea and doing a little quiet trade. Or maybe at times you might call it raid, up and down the coast of the Irish Sea. And so they went on farming and seafaring, turn about, and picked up a better living the harder they worked at both. Beside Ulfar there settled others of the Northmen along the coast. There would have been Raven at the south point of Forness, from whom we call Rampside and Ramsey. Beyond Bari, that is Barley Island, there is Orm's Gill, and round about it the villages into which his folk spread. Hawcott, the high cottage, Sowerby, the muddy farm, Sandscale, the shed by the sand, and so forth. Then up the Duddenfirth there is Roanhead, that is to say the headland with the grove of trees, at one end of the Roman road that goes by Dalton and Lindle to Conishead and Bardsey, which again is, in the language of the Northmen, as recorded in King William's Doomsday Book, Bearhead's Edge, and doubtless a place of ancient inhabitation. Then, up the Duddon again, there is Dunnerholm, the wild duck's islet, a fine spot for a stronghold, and opposite to it, Mealholm, Sandy Isle, where in after times Millam Castle was built. A little higher is Arnoldsby, and Wolveswater, or Ulfa, as they call the River Duddon, and round about them many a Norse Thwaite. After a while from these first settlements on the coast, land was taken up in bank by the families and followers of the first Viking settlers. Around Ulfar's town there were Rolf's Seat, and Asmund's Lee, and Hawk's Vale, and Marnie's Riggs. In the lower land across the Swarthmoor there is one Saxon spot, namely Edgar's Lith, and outlying farms with Norse names such as Bolton, Stainton, Scales, and Bosfield. Erswick maybe means nothing but stone walls, and Glasserton, the beck town below, and on the coast hard by is Aldingham and its moat hill, where some Saxon thane had dwelt in bygone times. Some say the Northmen afterwards used it for their all thing, and so gave it the name it keeps, though of this there is no other record than the ancient name, Aldingham, and the burial place of some thing priest of theirs hard by, at the goddess Barrow. Now you must have patience for a while to hear a word about these moat-hills, and things, and what was meant by a goddy. Of all the Northmen in Furness, our tale tells that Ulfar was the chief, both because he was a man of repute to begin with, and an early comer, and because he had got wealth from his trading and shipping iron to all parts. Being, as we said, a stickler for the old laws, Ulfar made a sacrificing place on that mound near his town, among the trees that grew upon it. He set up an altar to worship Thor in that grove, and called it his Lund. To the feasts of the Lund he bade his neighbours, and they were glad to come, not only for the worship, and to be on good terms with the gods, but because there was a chance of meeting one another, and talking over their affairs. So many came, and so long they stayed, as folk who had a good way to travel, and were loath to return in a hurry 
that around about the lund they built booths to lodge in and set up tents some brought wares to sell and others started games and wrestling matches so that it was quite like a fair at the great feasts after yule and after sheep shearing and after corn harvest the seasons that stand for ulverston fair to this day when any one had a quarrel with his neighbour and there had been manslaughter or other misdoing since there was no king to do justice they brought the case to ulfar at one of these feasts and he judged it according to the use and want of the northmen so that ulfar was called their goddy or chief and priest over in dunnerdale folk would meet in the same manner at folksfield which is named like the folksdale by the tynewald in man and in kentdale sigurd had his holy place at sigurd's hergra the spot we now call sisog and in every dale there was some meeting-place of which we have for the most part either the name or the spot to point to after a while the people from these little meeting-places or things as they called them found reason why they must come together into greater meetings or all things and they held the all thing first in one place and then in another and last of all if our guests tell truth after the ravaging of cumberland by king ethelred when the men of the morecambe coast were cut off from their kindred in the north they shifted their meeting-place southward and used the saxon moat-hill for the all thing of hogan being fashioned to hand and plain round about and there too the midmost spot for the thing-men to come at within the borders of the king of england in the country between the cumberland fells and the ribble namely the district which was then known as a moundiness but this is out of our tale well as summer was drawing on swain was bidden to a lund feast and took boat and landed at the hummerside and went up to the lund there men were all talking of the new king and what should be done about him for edward was now dead and athelstan his son reigned in his stead a stirring man and not one to let the fire smoulder under his feet the news was that sigtrig of york sigtrig is called by the english had marched out as soon as the old king was gone but athelstan was beforehand and met him at tamworth in the march and there they made peace and athelstan gave sigtrig his sister eithgita to wife and confirmed him in his kingdom and ragenwald the viking what of him asked swain nobody knew some said he was gone to france some said he was killed anyway he was out of the road by this time and sigtrig was now head king over all the danelaw these great kings being at peace there was no longer any chance of a rising not that it mattered much to the northmen hereabouts but all were good fighting men as well as good farmers and merchants a summer without war was a season lost to their way of thinking so they went home again grumbling and the next winter nothing happened but that at greenodd thorstein grew too big for his cradle and began to walk and talk chapter seven cowper's cracks the great aurora of a d nine hundred and twenty six evening it was when the afternoons were already beginning to lengthen but before the frost was over thorstein came running in at his bedtime and mother mother says he the fell's afire sure enough there was a sight to make the boldest heart shake in its step like a rickety mast for it seemed that all the heavens were aflame 
as though beyond the high hills woods and forests nay the very mountains themselves were blazing in a light low and one while great sheets of wavering flame turned blood-colour and the sky between them was green and the stars faded away then it throbbed and shifted and changed like clouds of sunset though the sun was long gone down and there was no moon swain and rod and the rest of them were aught but cowards but when they turned in they saw one another pale as grass in the firelight and laughed but little that night but what it might mean they disputed among themselves and it was mostly thought there would be bloodshed wherever that blood in the sky had shone there was another evening soon after when trading merchants came in a boat up the firth of the leaven such were never unwelcome in winter when folk were at home and work was slack there was time to rummage the wares and hear the news these cowpers also found the coast a deal safer when no summer fighting was going on as for storms they were never out of sight of a shelter creeping about the shore picking up what they could and always well entertained they had come last from cowprond which was their trading shore and market-place with the cartmel welsh where the old road met the sandgate over the leven greenodd was the only house up the firth and it was not always that chapman called there and so they were made much of when they had got their packs up to the house and when they had been served and suppered out came news for it seems that sigtrig had died not long after that great fire flaught in the heavens ay said the cowpers you may well cock your ears others beside you guessed that great doings would happen but listen now swain bjornson and all folk say there was foul play in that matter and sigtrig's sons by the queen that was the irish woman charged it on the queen that is the english woman for whose sake the king had taken christening but having won her he went back on his word and took to sacrificing again upon which off she goes to her brother athelstan wed and yet unwed as one may say and then dies sigtrig athelstan they say knew as much about it as another but that is only guesswork and neither here nor there anyhow he's a brisk lad and sprack not the man to see his sister put upon right or wrong away he marches with a great power to york and no sooner is he in sight but sigtrig's sons show him their heels the best way they could and that was out by the back door and away up the big north road across the fells till they come to penrith in cumberland and there we lose sight of them but they do say that guthferth sigtrigson started on the north road to visit constantine king of scots and get shelter with him if he could and olaf quaran said good-bye to his brother and went west as if to seek his uncle guthferth who is king now in dublin the question is what next for you may be sure they will not rest and the irish and the scots will be glad of a chance for a throw at the young king the king of all england as he will reckon himself and so that bad business at bakewell comes to nothing said swain i knew as much but this lad athelstan by what you tell of him must be a fine cockerel to crow so loud and now i call to mind he must have been the youngster that sat on the high seat step at bakewell he with the bright eyes ay said the chapman tall and slender he would be some thirty winters old when you saw him handsome and flaxen-haired 
and you will have noticed how his hair was all twisted up with gold threads. He's a real king to look at, though they say he's but the son of a shepherd lass whom Edward his father lighted upon in his travels, and he's a good sort, they say, and has seen the world, and knows better than most kings how folk live. Why, he speaks our language like one of us, and has done a bit of seafaring. But for all that he is a Saxon, and he must stand by his own kin. Well, what are we to do? Knock him on the head? To hold thy peace, said Una, is my advice, and watch the weather. A wise woman is my wife, said Swain, and knows the weasel's trick. After all, we are free of our oath, and need not put our heads into the snare again. Laugh at the lightning when the storm has passed, said the chapman. Athelstan, with his power, was at York a while since, and may be in Loonsdale by now to foreset us. Let him come, shouted Swain, and hey for a gradely good stir about, and pot look for the sharpest claws. Look you, Master Cowper, and all the rest, said Una. If you set up for egg battles and put my man on shouting, I shall have those blessed barns awake and on my hands all night. Swain Bjornson is a good friend to all his friends, but himself alone. We have seen a little fighting, to our sorrow, and the talk of the trade hangs about the tongue like smoke in a half-burnt house. But here we are, and here we stay if we can. As for Swain, his bark is worse than his bite. He shaped well for a good farmer in man before Ragonwell shifted us, and he shapes well for a good farmer now, and pity it were if we be plucked up by the roots again. These great kings and their powers come not where nothing is to be had but kale pottage and hard bats. I'll uphold it. Athelstan will be bound for the great burgs in the north, or Connolly on his way home again, and I should reckon it ill done of you, good fellows, to go abroad stirring up useless riot, or coming hither to entrap quiet folk into rash vows. So the cowpers said they were but giving the news and meant no harm and that it never had been their way to go tail-bearing and raising strife, nor never would be, at which Honor smiled and got up to make them beds before the fire on the benches of the hall. When she saw them well furnished with rugs to hat them, and bolsters for their heads, she sent her folk to their chambers, put her knitting away into a basket, lit a rushlight in an iron candlestick, and bade them good-night. Child Thorstein was fast asleep on the farther side of the bolster in the narrow chamber of their lock-bed, with one little dimpled arm stretched out upon the quilted coverlet. Swain, sitting upon a kiss to unlace his shoes, looked sleepily at him, and then at her, as she let a sheaf of yellow hair fall upon her white night-sark, and the rushlight on the shelf shone down through it, flickering in the draught from the little round window above for the lock-bed was just like a cabin aboard ship. "'Right thou art, Irish fairy,' said he, "'and always right. "'But, ah, you women, "'you never felt the heartiness of a good fight.' "'Nay, we are not. "'That's well known,' she laughed, "'drawing the curtain round the baby. "'Bar the door, Norse bear-sark.' End of part three